We did begin this series last week. Uh, We're talking about how loud our world can be sometimes and how we need to push past the noisy world, how we need to push beyond those loud voices that are screaming at us, telling us what we should believe, what they think is right, what they think is wrong, and that we should be able to move past them and listen for the quiet voice of God and hearing his voice and listening to what he has to say because his voice really is the only one that matters. It's the only voice that really can be counted on to speak truth in our life. And today we want to talk about gaining a quiet confidence in the midst of chaos. And we live in a chaotic world. I was thinking about all sorts of different kinds of chaos, times that my life has been pretty chaotic. And one of the events that I went back to in my mind was a Christmas Eve. We were at my sister's house. And it was Jill and I and our kids and my brother and sister-in-law and their four boys and my sister and her four kids and my parents and my grandparents. And we were all in her small living room. So there's about 20 of us in this living room. And we're opening gifts. And we're doing that torture routine, you know, where you take turns opening gifts. And uh, there's all of these kids and they're wanting to open more gifts or they're wanting to play with the toy that they just uh, got and they need their parents' help to open it. And it was just chaos. It was chaos. Then I remember when um, my girls became teenagers and they wanted to have slumber parties. And so you put 10 or 15, 12-year-olds in one house, and somebody in my house that should have maybe been chaperoning tended to fall asleep really early and sleep through most of it. But I'm not bitter about Jill doing that. Um, But, you know, so it was me up, and you'd hear the loud whispers, and then the giggles that were not quiet at all, and it was just chaos. And maybe you can think of times in your life that have just been chaos, and sometimes it's getting ready for trips, and sometimes it's coming home from trips, and sometimes it's getting ready for mega and things like that, but uh, it can just feel like chaos. And these situations don't even compare to some of the other things that make our lives feel totally chaotic. Things like war. Things like family drama, work problems, or just plain busyness. In fact, it seems that chaos describes many situations that we're living through, and we get to the point where we begin to believe that if somebody really is calm, they just don't understand the situation. They just really don't understand what's really going on because life is pretty chaotic. And yet, I have met people who in the midst of a chaotic life have handled the situation well. They seem like they're calm in the situation. I mean, people who are struggling with a terminal illness and yet they're calm and they're focused. People who are dealing with all sorts of family hurt and family pain, and yet 
they continue faithfully serving Jesus in the midst of it. People who are being uh, strongly and unfairly criticized by others, and yet they're polite and kind and gracious and Christ-like, and people who are undergoing huge financial stress within their family, and yet they're able to keep smiling and keep laughing. And how I would describe uh, this is they kind of have a, a quiet confidence a quiet confidence, even in the midst of chaos. They're living in this horrible situation, this chaotic situation, but they're doing it well. They're doing it respectfully. They are managing to live above the noise with this quiet confidence and this strength. And when I witness it, I want it. I want that. I want to be able to respond to a chaotic situation in my life that way. And I know I can't completely avoid the chaos, but I want to have this quiet confidence in the midst of chaos. And that's what we're talking about today. So please open your Bible or your device to Psalm 46. It's one of my personal favorite psalms. And I think it will help us to claim this type of confidence and hope that I was just describing. And uh, we don't really know the circumstance in which this psalm was written, but it sure seems that it must have been a time of chaos, maybe a time of attack, maybe a time of unrest for the psalmist. And let me use this chapter to point out four reasons that we can rise above the noise and find quiet confidence in the midst of chaos. First, I can have quiet confidence because his protection drives away fear. His protection drives away fear. Look at the first three verses of Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. What I like about Psalm 46 is how contemporary it feels. It doesn't describe some fairy tale type of world where everything is perfect and nice and calm. And it describes a world that's not just turning, but it's churning with problems, with chaos, earthquakes, tsunamis, tornadoes, hurricanes, famine. These are natural disasters continually, continually shaking our planet and often our lives. And you add to that the chaos that is created by mankind, murder and abuse and racism and hate and division and crime. And you see a pretty noisy, chaotic world. So what can we expect from God in all of this? Verse 1 tells us, he is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. He's our refuge. The picture is of a storm hitting and you run to a cave or you run to a storm shelter, a place where you know that you can be safe, where you can be dry, where you can hide from the storm. And he is our strength. You want some place that you know won't collapse in the midst of the storm, a place that will protect you from the wind, a place that will protect you from anything that might fall. And the passage says, God is our refuge. He is our strength. So in a chaotic world, we can run to him 
for protection. We can count on him to be strong for us, to care for us in the midst of chaos. And notice, because he is our refuge and our strength, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. The passage says, we will not fear Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Have you ever been in a situation where it felt like the earth was just giving way around you? That the earth was giving way around you? I have felt that way. I felt that way when our daughter was sick. I felt that way after she died. I felt that way when... A good friend betrayed me. Maybe for you, you felt that way when you discovered that secret that changed your world forever. Or maybe your world felt like it was giving way when you were dealing with a personal health crisis or dealing with unemployment or dealing with an addiction, yours or maybe a family member's. But there are times when it just feels like the earth is giving way, that everything is falling apart. And during those times, the only way to get through it is to run to Jesus. It's to run to Jesus, to let him be your refuge, to let him be your strength, your hiding place, your place of protection. And learning to count on and dwell within his protection drives away fear. I don't have to be afraid because I know God is strong. I know that he is strong enough to protect me, to get me through the chaos. His protection drives away fear if I will let it. Secondly, I can have a quiet confidence because his presence leads to peace. His presence leads to peace. One of the questions we often ask in times of chaos, when it feels like our world is giving way, that it's falling apart around us, we ask this, where is God in all of this? Where is God in all of this? Verse 1 told us, it said, God is our refuge and our strength. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. So according to Psalm 46, when you're in crisis, when you're in chaos, he's right there. He is an always present help in your times of trouble. Your God is not a God who's far off. He is a God who is in your midst. He is with us. And the next verses emphasize this same truth. Start with verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now the verses start by talking about this river whose streams make glad the city of God. And uh, we're not sure exactly what the psalmist is referring to here. Because it could be Jerusalem, except there's no river that runs through Jerusalem. 
But it's possible he's still talking about that because there was this water source in Jerusalem. Hezekiah built a great water system and the water system literally ran through the mountain. It literally ran through the rocks and into the city. And it was a great uh, water system. And so even if the enemy surrounded the entire city, trying to hold it captive and keep them from food and water, there was a river whose streams made glad the city of God because they always had access to water, even in those difficult times. But most don't think that the psalmist was talking about any particular stream They think he's just being figurative. One author wrote this, there is no allusion here to any particular stream or river, but the image is designed to represent a state of peace and calm security in contrast with the rough and troubled ocean. While the ocean rages and foams and dashes against the mountains as if they would overturn them, the state of Jerusalem, the city of God, was well represented by a calm and gently flowing river a river of full banks diffusing joy and fertility and beauty wherever it flowed. The image, or this image, to represent happiness, abundance, peace, joy, is one that's often employed in the Scripture. See, the idea here is simply that Jerusalem would be calm and serene amidst all the external agitations in the world, calm as a gently flowing stream. As I read these verses, I kind of focused on that very last part that says that God is our fortress. God is our fortress. Here is the picture I get. I picture myself inside of a fortress with really thick walls and with high walls, and the enemy is surrounding the fortress, is trying to attack, but I'm safe inside. I picture myself sitting in a lounge chair with a big Diet Coke, and uh, I'm sitting there relaxing while the battle rages outside the fortress. I'm safe. I'm protected. I'm confident. And something very similar to that actually happened in history. You might not be aware of it, but Rome was conquering the land of Israel, and they were killing the Jewish people, and uh, they would end up totally destroying God's temple, just as Jesus had predicted. And a group of Jewish soldiers thought that they would make their last stand at a fortress that had been built by King Herod in the desert called Masada. And they went up to Masada at night, expecting to have Roman soldiers kill them. They really believed that it was a suicide mission. But when they got there, they found that there were only a few Roman soldiers and they happened to all be asleep when the Jewish soldiers arrived. So the Jewish soldiers conquered the fortress and in the next weeks, uh, thousands of people gathered there at Masada. Jewish soldiers and families took refuge inside of this fortress and when Rome heard about it, they decided that they would take it back. And so they sent their army to attack Masada. And as the soldiers would try to run up the hill to Masada, the Jewish soldiers at the top would just take big rocks and roll them down towards the soldiers. It was kind of bowling with Roman soldiers, you know. And 
Rome figured out that wasn't going to work. And so they built walls all the way around uh, Masada thinking that they would put it under siege, that they would starve the people out. But they had forgotten that inside the fortress, King Herod had stored enough food for years. And there was plenty of water. There was enough water that they actually had a swimming pool on top of Masada. And so the Roman soldiers who didn't have much food, who were suffering in the heat, who didn't have enough water, they would go up onto the mountainside to look down into Masada to see what the people were doing. And they would literally see people splashing around in a swimming pool and people looking well fed and uh, people with plenty of water. And um, now, Eventually, the story didn't end up very well for the Jewish people on Masada, nor for the Roman soldiers, but that's a story we'll have to tell later. But the picture of what was going on in those early years is what I think this passage wants us to picture. Even when the battle rages around us, we can be safe and we can be confident because, as the passage says, God is an ever-present help. That's verse 1. And I am where the Most High God dwells. That's verse 4. And God is within the walls, and He won't let the walls fall, and He will help. That's verse 5. And when He speaks, the earth melts. That's verse 6. And God is the Lord all-powerful, and He is with us. That's verse 7. He's with us. And all of those times, the verses saying exactly the same thing, I can have peace because God is with me. He's present with me. He's on my side. He's with me. Now notice, it doesn't say that God is going to take away the battle. It doesn't say that God is going to end the chaos. It says that you can have peace right in the very middle of the battle, in the middle of the chaos, because God is with us. He is our fortress. He is an ever-present help in our times of trouble. And by the way, these verses that we're reading from Psalm 46 are the verses that inspired Martin Luther to write many, many centuries ago that great hymn of the church, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He would often say when he was discouraged to his assistant, he would say, let's sing Psalm 46. And they would sing the old hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. You see, his presence leads us to peace. Next, I can have a quiet confidence because his strength inspires trust. His strength inspires trust. Look back at the verses, and let's start with verse 7 again, and then we'll read on. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought to the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. 
I want you to catch the language in verse 9. He causes wars to cease. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Now, this isn't just saying that God is a God of peace, that God doesn't like war. This isn't an anti-war verse. What it's saying is something far different. You see, breaking the bows, shattering the spears, burning the shields, that's what winners do. That's what the winner of the battle does. Doing those things in, the, in his day said these things. It said, you are so thoroughly defeated that you aren't even an army anymore. You're so defeated that you're not an army anymore. We have won and you have lost and you cannot come back from this. There's no recovery from this because you have been defeated that much. So because God is our strength, we can trust him that ultimately he will win the battle. Ultimately, he will defeat the enemy. He will defeat the battle or he will win the battles that we are facing in this life. If we trust in him and if we follow him, he will win our battles. Here's the problem. We keep trying to deal with the battles ourselves. We're trying to win our own battles. Many today seem to think that we win the battle around us by having the right political views and fighting hard to make sure our opinion is heard and promoted. Some think that they will win battles by becoming successful in business and in life and that money and position will win the battle. uh, Still others think that they win the battle by making sure that their kids have a good life, that their kids have every advantage, that their kids don't fight some of the same battles that the parents had to fight. But God's path to victory isn't in those things. It isn't in those things. His path to victory for us is for us to trust in him Verse 10 said this, he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God says, you don't have to deal with these battles. Just be still. Just let me do it. Just know that I am God. Know that I will win this. I will be exalted. The passage is such a vital one, and I'm not sure that this translation that we often use gives us a full picture of what's really being said here. So look at verse 10 again, this time in the New American Standard Version. Here's what it says, cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. Cease striving. That's probably a better translation. The Hebrew word means to stop, to cease, to let go, or to relax. In other words, just stop. Don't get all worked up about the situation. Quit fighting. Don't try so hard. Cease striving. Just be still. And let God be God. As the passage has already said, He is our protection. He is strong enough and He is with us. So just quit struggling and let Him be God. Let His strength inspire you to trust Him in your situation. So when you're overcome with worry about your kids, just be still. Cease striving. Realize that God loves them even more than you love them. 
and that he is with you and he will help you. And when it seems like your work world is falling apart and you aren't sure that you will have a job or a way to support your family, just let go of the worry. Let go. Be still. Wait for God to work. And I know it isn't easy. If it's like me, if you're like me, you will probably have to do it several times. You know how it is. I let go of it and I wait for God to work. And while I'm waiting, I just slowly kind of take pieces of it back until I've got it all and I'm holding on to it tight again. And uh, I just have to let go each time you realize you have uh, taken it back, that you've begun to try to fix it again. Just be still again. Just let go again, release it again, and trust God to be strong enough to win the battle. So whenever you're stressed or concerned, whatever it is that has you stressed or concerned, your marriage, the state of our world, the safety of our nation, terrorism, taxes, divorce, finance, whatever it is, be still. Cease striving. Just quit fighting and let God be God. Lastly, I can have a quiet confidence because his forgiveness allows confidence. His forgiveness allows confidence. Verse 11, the last verse in the chapter, is going to sound pretty familiar. Here's what it says. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You're not imagining it. You've read those words before. That's exactly what verse 7 says. So uh, the author says this twice. Now, since this is a psalm and uh, psalms were songs, this actually might be the chorus of the song that is being written, and it gets repeated. But hear what he says. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, we've talked about most of those concepts already. Uh, I mean, we've talked about God being with us, and we've talked about him being our fortress. But notice the passage talks about the God of Jacob. Why specify Jacob? I mean, why not say the God of Abraham is with us? Or the God of Moses is with us? Or at least, why not use the name that God gave to Jacob later on and say the God of Israel is with us? Why specify the God of Jacob? Well, I think it might help to look at what the Hebrew name Jacob means. It means to grasp the heel. It means the holder of the heel. Kind of a weird thing, isn't it? Now, that was also a Hebrew idiom that meant he deceives or trickster. Now, that seems like a terrible thing to name a baby, doesn't it? I mean, what a terrible name for a baby, especially in the Hebrew culture where it was all about what the name meant. But there's a story there. I mean, when Jacob was born, he literally came out grasping the heel of his twin brother. And he deceives or trickster ended up being a pretty good description of Jacob. You see, if you read about him in Genesis, you will find he did not always make God his refuge and his strength. 
Instead, he relied on his own ideas, his own cunning to get what he wanted, like when he took advantage of his brother being really, really hungry and sold him a bowl of soup to gain the right to inherit the most from their dad. And later, he deceives his nearly blind father by dressing up as his brother to trick his father into giving him the blessing and the inheritance. And then later, he deceives his father-in-law by cheating his father-in-law in business. So he was a deceiver. He was a trickster. But here's the point. In spite of these weaknesses and more, God was still the God of Jacob. He was still the God of Jacob. God continued to forgive him. God continued to love him. God continued to protect him and to sustain him. And so I'm comforted to hear that the God of Jacob, the God of the deceiver and the trickster, is my fortress. That he is our refuge and our strength because just like Jacob, I sometimes try to take refuge in my own plans first, to trust my skill, to trust my ideas, to trust my plan first. I don't always run to God as my refuge and my protection, and because of that, God should expel me from his kingdom. He should boot me out of his fortress. He should withdraw his protection, but he doesn't because he forgives us. You see, he is the God of Jacob. He is the God of Steve. And he's your God, even if you have thought your plan was better, even if you have lied, even if you have deceived, even if you have fallen, even if you have failed. And I can have complete confidence. I can hold my head up high in his presence because he's forgiven me. His forgiveness gives me confidence. So living out this passage is my goal. I want to rise above the noise. I want to embrace this passage. I want this quiet confidence in the midst of my chaotic world. You see, his protection can drive away my fear when I really understand that he is strong, that he is safe, that he is my place of protection. I don't have to be afraid. And his presence leads to peace when I understand in the hardest times, the most difficult days, that he is with me, that he is always with me. It gives me peace. And the fact that he is strong, his strength inspires me to trust him And his forgiveness allows me total confidence. So we're almost finished here, but let me just ask this. Ask yourself this question. If he is almighty, and if he's always with you, he's the always present help in your life, can't you let him handle whatever it is that you're dealing with right now? Can't you confidently trust him to win the battle that's raging in your world right now? He is the Lord Almighty. He is your refuge and your strength and your fortress and an always present help 
in times of trouble. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you just help us to cease striving, to stop fighting, to let you be God? Would you help us, Father, to rest in you, to run to you, to trust you in the midst of the difficulties in our world? Father, would you help us to make your voice primary? Would you help us, Father, to push aside all the other voices, to live above the noise with a quiet confidence that you're going to win this battle? Father, the victory may not come until heaven, but Father, we are trusting you to break the bows and the spears and to burn the shields. We are trusting you to be exalted in this world, in this life, and over our problems. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. We trust him now. In Jesus' name, amen.